0: now on this invest talk podcast justin klein listens to your questions hey guys love the show listen to it frequently I have a question on affirm. A F R M. And provides unbiased answers.
1: The answer is it's good. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I didn't. Uh, that's not something that I had great hindsight. I'm just looking at it here. They had earnings after hours today. They're up 25%. It looks like after hours from so 92.
0: Invest talk. Over 32 million downloads and counting. Your participation makes it unique. 888 99, 99 sharp
2: This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast.
1: Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, September 9th, 2021 edition of Invest Talk. And Labor Day is now in the rearview mirror. I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday weekend and everyone stayed safe. And we enter the post-Labor Day um, part of the year where we prepare for holidays, which are next, and uh, the fourth quarter. And that means most of the year is well behind us. And in the meantime, uh, now that that, uh, we have a lot to look forward to here in the markets... You need to stay vigilant and stay focused on the task at hand, which is making consistent decisions, the right decisions about your money, about your investments each and every day. And that's really what it's all about. It's not about hitting that one grand slam investment and uh, suddenly uh, you're, you're, you're well off and you have uh, all the financial freedom you want. It's, it's not sure that could happen, but it's very rare. And for most of you, you're going to achieve your success by making smart decisions day after day. And that's what I'm here to help you do. And on this podcast, I'm going to operate with my mission statement, which is independent thinking and shared success. Which means when I'm talking about the market, uh, strategy, sector, a stock, I'm here to present it all without bias. Give you the facts as I see them in front of me. Using my 20 plus years of investment experience and all the data that I have look, I'm looking at right now. So I'm Justin Klein, and I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions and interact with me right now during our live stream program. But if you're li- listening after hours of four to five Pacific time, you can still leave your message. Just give that same number a call, 888 chart leave, leave a message on our Invest Talk Voice Bank, and we will answer it on a future show. So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hey,
0: uh, my name is Dip, and I'm calling from Northern California. Thank you guys for all your help. I have a question on stock Lockheed Martin, ticker symbol LMT. Uh, they specialize in aerospace and defense, and it seems like their net income has increased year after year. And their PE is uh, pretty much at the low end right now compared to where it was about a year or two ago. And I was wondering if uh, right now is a good time to get into Lockheed Martin. Thanks, and I look forward to your response. Appreciate it. Bye.
1: All right. Looking at Lockheed Martin, one of the largest defense contractors in the world. And this is uh, technically this is in a downtrend. It hit a 52-week high of about $400 a share. Now we're down twelve and a half percent or so, to around three hundred and fifty dollars a share. And this is the stock, one of the stocks that I definitely do not like. We just got out of Afghanistan after twenty-year war there, and we're talking about pulling out of places like Syria and uh, Iraq, and and frankly, the the U.S. population doesn't have a lot of appetite for these foreign wars anymore after what's happened in Vietnam or with with Afghanistan, which echoes of of Vietnam, uh, etc. and our fiscal situation as a country. There's uh, the the mantra of let's stop these wars and focus uh, the spending on domestic policies. Uh, I think that rings true for a lot of Americans, whether you're on the left, right, center, doesn't matter. And so I think the tailwinds of the Profits from Mart uh, Martin has reaped over the last twenty years are, frankly, just not going to be nearly as easy, and fran- and and they're probably going to shrink. And then when you think of where defense spending should be focused on, it's going to be more and more focused on IT spending on uh, on cybersecurity. And far less on the things that Lockheed Martin builds, aircraft carriers, uh, missiles, satellites, submarine combat systems, missile defense systems. We, we have the best in the world. And I don't really think that the U.S. government is going to spend uh, nearly as much on those type of systems going forward. And so this is not a name. I think this is a, a good This is a value trap in my mind, and so I would pass on Lockheed Martin. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. Growth versus value investing, what do you need to know about both to make the most of your money? Value and growth investing can be divided in all kinds of sub-strategies and competing philosophies, and we're going to break those down for you and help you understand the the difference and the sub-genres. Also, let's touch on going green, a lot of funds going green with new names like Sustainable uh, and um, and Green and ESG. And I want to highlight some facts about a lot of these quote-unquote green funds. Next, Coinbase says the SEC is investing in its crypto lending program. This was a very interesting story and pretty funny to me especially um the ceo's twitter rant uh, that was pretty embarrassing so we're going to look at that and then lastly the janet yellen says the treasury could exhaust its cash cons- conservation measures in october that's in less than a month so what will what could the ramifications be for the market as a whole so that's What's on my mind, but ultimately I want to hear from you, 888-99-CHART, 888 4278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. S&P was down about 21 points today, half a, half a percent drop there. The NYSE, that was down 67 points, about... Mm, yeah, about a third of a percent there. So a very modest down day in the markets. Nothing nothing too crazy, nothing that uh, you should probably be worried about. But once again, I do. Ex- I have been saying this for a while. The back half of the year is expected to be a lot choppier. We were, we were at a choppy summer, and this is likely to be a choppy back half of the year because the outlook for the economy, the markets for stimulus are a lot murkier. And I think that's what's bringing a bit of volatility into the market but there's still a lot of cash out there. So I don't expect a pullback to be too dramatic. Now we're heading into a quick break, but I'm here and ready to answer your questions. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART.
0: Summer's moving fast and you can't afford to lose focus. So have your finance and investment questions ready and call Justin Klein now. Invest Talk eight 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 ninety nine chart.
2: Hey, I had a question for you guys. I heard you guys, for example, say that Procter and Gamble PE range was seventeen to twenty six, and I was just wondering, how do you guys calculate that? How are you guys calculating that? Thank you.
1: All right. Well, the P we're looking at what is called Marketsmith, a, a piece of software that we subscribe to, and it's the five-year P range. So that's just what the stock has generally traded at on a multiple uh, over the past five years, and whether it's on the high end or the low end. Now, it could be trading at the high end of that range for a good reason or the low end of that re- range for a good reason, uh, but it, it's a good kind of temperature gauge of how high the multiple is compared to the recent past. And yeah, five years is still relatively recent. But high-growth companies tend to trade at high multiples. And uh, if they've been growing for a little while, then that mul- that, that uh, P range is going to be rather large. Whereas maybe slower growth, large financial companies, for example, they typically will trade at smaller multiples. For example, J.P. Morgan. It's P range over the last five years is 9 to 16. Now it's at 13, right, right pretty much in the middle. And you can see that those type of companies that are large have uh, not a whole lot of market share to, to grow because they, they have a, a big part of the market. Uh, they tend to trade at those lower multiples. So that's kind of a good snapshot. It's one data point. You never make any decision based on one data point. But it is helpful to see kind of where that company tends to be trading uh, from a multiple perspective. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline: growth versus value investing, and what you need to know about both to make the most of your money. So let's let's talk about that for a bit. Now, for since really two thousand seven, growth has outperformed value dramatically. And and you can see why that is. Well, we've been in a period of financial repression. 2008 was a time period where banks, which are historically value stocks, oh, fell out of bed. And many of them, uh, some of them went bankrupt, Lehman Brothers of the World. And others were just decimated, their balance sheets, uh, etc. And then you had financial repression where rates were held basically at zero. And that is very beneficial for Growth companies, multiples. Uh, We have talked about this before. When you do a cash flow analysis over the long term and you have a a very low discount rate because interest rates are, are low, then those growth companies, those future cash flows, 5, 10, 15 years out, suddenly become very valuable today. And so that's why growth has really outperformed up until pretty much last summer. And that's when it peaked out. And that's really when... Inflation started to really ramp up, and you start to see the value trade suddenly come back in vogue. And this was the last time that was in vogue was after the dot com bubble. So from two thousand to two thousand seven, you can see that there are periods. You can go back decades, and and you'll see that there are periods where growth tends to outperform, other periods where value starts to outperform. But let's talk a bit about what that means. Well, value investing, that's usually pretty straightforward. Companies trading at low multiples, oftentimes paying a very high dividend, but they're low growth. And it's all about their consistent cash flow and earnings today. Now, growth investors hunt for companies that are on their way up, that that may go on to dominate industries for decades to come and have a long growth trajectory going forward. Now, both you make a lot of money both ways, and you don't have to stick to just value investing or just growth growth investing. It's really about finding the best values either side. So sometimes paying a higher multiple than the market for a growth name can make a lot of sense because they're going to grow into that higher multiple if they continue on with that consistent growth. Other times, paying an exorbitant multiple can be very detrimental to your portfolio because even if they do grow consistently, that multiple is so high that it's gonna take really decades for them to grow into that stock price. Cisco's a good example. They still have not gotten back to their 2000 high. Even though their business is still around, they've been growing, but because the multiple was so high at that point, they just were never going to be able to grow that fast to meet that type of valuation. But you can make big gains. The Amazons of the world, Microsofts, even non-tech companies, your Starbucks of the world. They climbed 433% between 2000 and 2006 as they really ramped up the, the coffee culture and, and spread across America. Okay. Now, growth stocks rarely pay dividends because they take their available resources and they put it into expanding, growing. But there are some metrics that you want to look at. First, return on equity, making sure that the money that they're reinvesting is actually beneficial to you, the shareholder, and they're not just throwing good money after bad. There's a lot of companies in today's market that are losing money consistently. And they're really in the business of issuing more shares so they, they can plow it into the business, lose more money, tout a big great story, but frankly, their business is just not economical. Okay, So you need know, to make sure that their profit margins are good and they, they can consistently grow over the long term, not just for a couple of years because in order for high multiple growth stocks to be cheap today – they need to have a reasonable multiple and grow for really a decade plus uh, at, at a high rate. And that's how you're successful on the growth side. Now, after the break, I'll get into the value side and what makes sense when you're looking at value companies. Now, listen to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. For investors, the need to remain vigilant never ends. And that's why we're here. Help you manage your fear and greed. Weed through the, the, the good data and the bad data. And help you become better investors. So, we're taking your calls live at 888 99 Chart.
0: Invest Talk is here to help. And when you download the free Invest Talk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open 888 99
1: Chart. Now, before the break, I gave you a brief synopsis of what a growth company is. But let's uh, dig into what a value company typically would be classified as. Well, buying a value company is looking for those that typically are trading below their industry peers, meaning from a multiple perspective, P.E., price of sales, book value, etc. And you're mainly focusing on cash flows, earnings, dividends, assets, revenues, not necessarily the growth of those, those, uh, those metrics. Now, you want them to be growing, but you don't necessarily need them to be growing at a high rate. And oftentimes, especially in a high inflationary environment, those companies tend to do better. They have better pricing power. They have large amount of fixed assets that can be deployed and have room to grow in value. And so that's uh, one of the big reasons why value stocks tend to do better. And they can be small. They can be emerging markets. They can be giant corporations with household names. Of a good value is a good value. And the focus is less on that growth of revenue, which growth stocks is, are, are usually classified as. So those are the main differences. And you can blend value and growth stocks into a diversified portfolio. You probably should. You probably shouldn't focus on one or the other because that's too dogmatic. It's ignoring what could potentially be giant, great companies on the growth side. And it's ignoring those companies that are undervalued and underappreciated on the value side as well. That can also be fantastic investments. So you can make great money either way. But you have to understand what type of investor you you are, first off, and whether you can see can, can can succeed at both, or maybe one is just right for you. So hope that helped you give you a little perspective on the growth versus value discussion. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, I'd like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. So here are some questions from iTunes reviewers. Tommy asks, I was wondering about the proper steps to taking to take when rolling over a 401k into an IRA would it be best to contact someone like TD Ameritrade and make their have their rollover team assist? Or should I fill out the paperwork myself? Great question. And I like that you're looking to roll over your, your 401k. I'll give you how we do it uh, for clients. What we do is we send them uh, DocuSign documents to send set up a new IRA over at TD. That's who our broker is and you can use Fidelity, E-Trade, Schwab. I would recommend one of the bigger names, uh, especially because equity trading is free at all of them. Now, uh, it's just really about what your preferences are for research and uh, technology and customer service, etc. cetera. They all have their little, their strengths and you want to do a little background research there. Uh, and, and they'll, they'll help you probably w- walk you through the, the steps. But how we do it is we say, here, we'll help you open the IRA. And then here is a ch- Here is a, an address. For TD Ameritrade, it's in Texas, to have the check made out to or sent to, but it's made out to TD Ameritrade Clearing for benefit of your name, IRA. And so when it's sent to TD, they know who's IRA to put it in, uh, and you should probably do something similar. Obviously, Fidelity, that's going to be national financial services that you'd have the check made out to, et cetera. So it, it's it's a little bit of a process, but not too cumbersome. It's really the main thing is make sure you, you know who to contact over at your old employer to cut that check for you to deposit into your new IRA, wherever that is, hopefully one of the bigger brokers. Let's go to Raphael in Dallas, looking at WAMCX. Do you own it or are you looking to buy it?
0: Hey, Justin. Hope you're doing well today. I, uh, I own
2: some in my Roth, and I was thinking about buying some more, but I wanted to hear what your thoughts are.
1: OK, um, well, I, I I would really want to see it in the midst of uh, all of your uh, your portfolio and see that that spread. But you're looking at Wasatch Ultra Growth. This is a small cap growth mutual fund. The expense ratio is about one point nine percent, one point one nine percent. Excuse me. So it's a little bit high for, for my taste. But historically, it's done very, very well. Uh, how old are you? Twenty five. Okay, so you're young. You should be aggressive. This is a 91% in U.S. stocks, about 7.5% in non-U.S. stocks, and then cash for uh, the balance. Top holding is... Fresh Pet, a lot of very small companies that you pro- that most people have not heard of, but it's a small cap growth name. So that's what you are are getting here. A lot of these companies are probably gonna trade at high multiples. The Fresh Pet currently trades at 169 P ratio. So you can see that's what you're you're gonna be paying up for a lot of these names. Now the good thing is I like small cap growth over say large cap growth because small caps have a lot more room to grow on the upside than though those large caps that are already. Ha- huge companies have high multiples. So a lot of these smaller names have more room to run. Um, so having it as a small percentage of your portfolio, I'm not I'm not mad about, maybe 10% or, or less. Uh, but it's going to be very, very high risk. And I would make sure the portfolio as a whole right now is more leaning towards the value side. Even though this is growth, no, it doesn't mean you can't have any. But I would be leaning more towards the value side of the market as opposed to this would be leaning towards the growth side. But it's a good fund if you're looking to get into or have exposure to the small cap growth part of the market. Thanks for the call, Rafael. Now, in the next Invest Talk, the story behind this headline, hedge funds slash China exposure amid ongoing regulatory crackdown. According to one high profile firm, hedge fund exposure to Chinese equities and indices listed in the U.S. have dropped to a two-year low. That story, Steve will get to tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions live at eight 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 ninety nine chart eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive K-E-R-O-N-E.com, Hacker1.com. The stock market is volatile.
0: It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced? Or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz.
1: Now, since 2013, mutual fund companies have rebranded 64 uh, mutual funds to have names that represent that they are investing in more sustainable businesses. Last year alone, they rebranded 25 of those funds. And what these funds are doing is they're adopting investment strategies that utilize companies' environmental, social, and government's performance to pick stocks. Now, that's at least what they are saying. But many of the funds that are actively managing were experiencing chronic outflows prior to these rebranding. And 35 of those 64 were suffering from these withdrawals over the past three years before they went to, quote-unquote, green. And of the 64, uh, sorry, of the 35, 13 have now began to reverse that trend. So the marketing of these funds has worked. For example, the $1.5 billion USAA Sustainable World Fund holds nearly $100 million uh, in shares of 47 fossil fuel companies. And that is the issue here, is that, yes, there is a move towards ESG, towards Funds that have these green ratings. But the problem is, there's no uniform standard of what is a green company and what is not. Everyone has their own filters and classifications of what a, if a company is green or environmentally uh, sustainable, if they have good governance, etc. Now, if you look at the USA Sustainable World Fund, which, like I said, holds $100 million in shares of 47 fossil fuel companies, says that they add in the fund's prospectus, prospectus they note that ESG ratings were considered, but fund managers may disagree with a rater's conclusion. Basically, saying the fund manager can kind of do whatever they want. That they're incorporating ESG in the consideration, but it's not the end all be all, even though the name says USA Sustainable World Fund. Another one, American Century Investment Fund Equity Fund. They've been bringing in uh, new money, but they still own things like ConocoPhillips. And their rationale is that, hey, they're becoming more sustainable, even though it's still a very small percentage of their business. Yeah, they're investing in green energy, but it's still a very small percentage of their business. So these rebrands, in a lot of ways, are simply marketing gimmicks. And I get what they're trying to do. And I get that there's no general standard. And that's what worries me here is that who is going to create the standard? How do we how do you know as an investor if you're trying to invest in ESG, how do you know that that is actually happening on the ground? Are you going to dig into the funds and Pick out the names of the the holdings and say uh, to the manager, what is this? Why is this in here? What is classified as ESG? That's my big point here. And most of the time, it's really just more marketing than it is making a a real difference. And uh, so make sure that if you're looking for that, you need to do a deep dive on what their process is, and you have to agree with it. Now, let's keep things moving and a pivot to the Invest stock Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier on 888-99-CHART.
0: Hey, guys. Love the show. Listen to it frequently. I have a question on a Affirm, A-F-R-M. I have a pretty large position, and they have an earnings report coming up on Thursday. I just wanted to get your take and see if it was going to be... A negative or a positive as far as which direction that stock was going to roll on earnings report day uh any information you could give me i appreciate it thanks guys bye
1: well i don't know what they are going to do on on uh earnings report day it looks like actually if i'm looking at this correctly it might have been pretty good yeah because i'm looking at 109 let me go to a different source here yeah um well the answer is it's good. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I didn't. Uh, that's not something that I had great hindsight. I'm just looking at it here. They had earnings after hours today. They are up 25%. It looks like after hours from uh, 92 to 109.50, 110, somewhere in there. So you have a large position, and this is a growth name. This is a company that still. Let me take a look at the the data here. Yeah, they're still not making money. Uh, let me see what they're yeah, stock did well. Uh, revenue up 71% after hours. I know they, I believe they did a deal with Amazon. So there's probably some guidance in regards to that, that the market liked. Uh, but they still lost 52 cents a share. And it's a very competitive space. Remember, this is just a, a, a lending platform. And so I would be, if you have a large position, sounds like you were a bit worried about this. I would be using this to trim your position, right size it down to a, a reasonable amount, maybe three, 5% of your overall portfolio. So I'm um, glad it did well for you, but don't get too happy. Make sure you have good money management skills, good portfolio management skills and rebalance when you have a day like this, especially in an name that's going to be very volatile over time. Now let's make a two caller voice bank questions in a row. This came from a listener in Wisconsin.
0: Hi, my name is Jim. I'm from Wisconsin. I, I have a question about uh, something I've been hearing lately. I've heard that the largest transfer of wealth in American history is going on right now. I believe it's got something to do with inflation and the way it's going right now, but I was wondering if you could explain the fundamentals of that or what the notion is to all that. Thanks.
1: Uh, I don't believe it has anything to do with inflation. Uh, this has more to do with baby boomers who are estimated to pass 68 trillion dollars down to their next generation. this is this is the time most baby boomers are now retired. And I know there's a lot of you out there probably listening unfortunately. you're the, the generation before baby boomers, they're almost all gone. And so the baby boomers are the next to go and pass that on to the next generation. And so that's really what the greatest wealth transfer in history is really all about. Uh, there's so much equity tied up into their homes, tied up in their equity and and, and stock portfolios. And so this is really that that question is uh, who are they transferring it to, the G- Gen uh, X and, and the – Uh, millennials, generation, that's where the the money is mainly going. And so I don't think it has anything to do with inflation. Uh, It's really just about the demographics of the country. And there's been, uh, the baby Boomers have been in charge for a long period of time. Just go look at Congress. There's still a ton of them uh, there. And they have passed a lot of policies that have helped baby Boomers, especially the Fed, lowering interest rates, creating uh, these high stock prices, high equity uh, or high home prices, that's been the main driver. And that's why they have most of the wealth. When you repress interest rates down to such low levels, those that own assets will benefit the most. And the baby boomers own the most assets. And that's why you're seeing this large transfer of wealth. Now, summer is all but over, and soon we'll head into the fourth quarter. And you're seeing a little market volatility here today. And I want to remind you that you need to be prepared to handle these type of circumstances. You need to know what your portfolio has, what type of risk you're taking, and does it meet your goals and your risk tolerance levels. And if you need help with that, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley to set up a free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go-to meeting. What we do on those calls is go over your portfolio, your your risk tolerance level, your your financial plan, if you have one, or, or help build one, or start to build one, and then figure out how to make your financial path a lot easier, a lot more successful, a lot more fruitful, and get you towards financial freedom faster. And that's what we do on these calls. So I encourage you to take advantage of these. We do them at our company KPP financial, where we operate with the same philosophy of independent thinking and shared success, where we implement unbiased guidance and parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients. So I encourage you to send me a message through InvestTalk.com or call our KPP financial offices in Irvine, California at 800-557-5461. We'd love to help you in any way. Now, next up, a question concerning covered calls that's coming up here on Invest Talk.
0: Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. And Steve and Justin, thank you for your loyalty. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. 888 chart Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Justin in North Carolina. Uh, I have a significantly overweight position in, in Oracle, and uh, I like the company long term, but but think this is maybe a, a good uh, possible covered call option for me here. I don't have a lot of experience with, with covered calls, but is, do you think a, a, an overweight position in a company you like is a, is a good opportunity to, to consider covered calls? And if so, what would be the, the strike price targets uh, you
1: would you sort of look at? Thank you. I believe he was talking about Oracle, if I heard that correctly. And Oracle has been consolidating up here right around the $90 level for quite some time. And if you are looking to sell a covered call, I would have to bring up my system here. But when uh, let me start broadly. Now, if you're looking at selling covered calls, a lot of people will look at the premium they're getting and they're more focused on that. I like to look more uh, from a technical perspective where there's support and resistance. In a call, they're typically looking at where there's the resistance. Now, with Oracle, because it's been consolidating for a while. And it's near the highs on the chart. You're really going to have to go back um, many years to see if there's any overhead resistance on the stock. And it's near an all-time high, so there isn't. So I would be more focused on uh, I would be more focused on finding the the right premium uh, because of that. Because there's no upward resistance now on Oracle um, or any stock. I would be looking out around thirty to to sixty days. That's the amount of time for expiration that you want to be uh selling because you're still getting good premium but your uh, your time decay over the next month is going to be very fast and so you're looking uh p- pretty much at the october strikes and i would be looking at the ninety two fifty 50 strikes you're going to get about two bucks a little over two bucks per share for that call and you'd still give you a little more upside there uh but hedge you about two dollars on the downside uh so that's the strike I would go with an October ninety two fifty call to bringing that nice premium, and you should still get another dividend. It looks like between now and expiration as well. So I hope that helped. Now I want to highlight a pretty interesting story here, and this is the fact that the SEC is investigating Coinbase over a lending program the company plans to market and. Now it looks like they're going to sue the company over the offering. They got a Wells notice on this. And CEO Brian Armstrong went to Twitter and went on a rant calling the SEC's actions as sketchy, with intimidation tactics, etc. And what was so interesting about this rant was that it was pretty embarrassing for Brian Armstrong because he really didn't understand what exactly a security was. He was shocked to know that if you are paying interest on a deposit or uh, you're paying interest on a deposit and the, and the principal is not guaranteed like it is with a bank, with FDIC insurance, then it is a security. He didn't know that. Even though that's uh, in acts that have been, the securities acts that have gone going back to the 30s. And so it just shows you that even though you might be the CEO of a large company, especially in the crypto space, doesn't mean that you understand the financial world, the financial system. And crypto companies in the past have complained that regulators won't explain whether products should be classified as securities or not. Well, look at the history, look at the laws. You don't go to the SEC and ask the SEC to explain how something works. You hire a securities lawyer and say, this is what I want to do. Can I do it? And they give you advice because they look at the laws. And so it's really shocking to me that you have the CEO of a public company, pretty much the largest broker within the crypto space, so lost when it comes to being able to navigate basic securities laws and understanding of what a security product is or isn't and can't figure out how to hire a lawyer themselves. So this is a good example of how crazy and wild the crypto space is when you have the leader of the largest public company in the space being so frankly unprofessional so just wanted to highlight that this is invest talk i'm justin klein we have one goal here to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom and our work continues after this final break so get your questions in now at 888 chart
0: this is invest talk is your portfolio balanced is it optimized Hey, Stephen, Justin, my name is Wes, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee, and I was calling because I'm a young financial professional in the financial services industry, and I was looking at my 401k options and had done some research on small cap value and small cap growth and uh, how they tend to outperform other asset classes in the long haul due to their risk return trade off, and was wondering why someone young like myself wouldn't just put everything 100% in like a small cap value index because it tends to be a little cheaper and outperform growth in the long haul. and I uh, was wondering if there's really any reasons to react to negative downturns in the market or if a buy and hold strategy until closer to retirement could make sense. But look forward to hearing your insight on it, and I uh, enjoy listening to your show.
1: All right, great question. And he's right. Smaller cap funds of almost all stripes tend to outperform over the long term. Now, in the medium term, they also tend to have a lot more volatility. And so that's the first Question is, can you handle that level of volatility? You sound well-read. You're in the industry, so why? You you probably will. You probably have a lot of uh, willingness and ability to take risk, and so that's probably where you should lean as well. Now, there's no guarantee that will past performance will repeat. That's the industry mantra. You probably know that. So, just because it has happened doesn't mean it's going to happen in the future. But the odds are in your favor. And so you're right. You should probably lean that way. And, and if you have the ability and willingness to take uh, a lot of risk because you're young, because you have decades to go, uh, you should probably lean towards small cap uh, value or, or growth, um, depending on how you feel, or maybe a little bit of both. So great question. Now before we close, I want to touch on the debt ceiling. And Treasury Secretary Yellen has officially formally Notify Congress that the measures that, they, that she has taken since August 1st have, are, are going to run out sometime in October And this is something that Congress has flirted with a few times in the past 2001 and 2013 notably That they aren't going to raise the debt ceiling uh, And so it's usually political posturing But the big question is, can the markets handle this type of political posturing in the midst of uh, still an ongoing pandemic of, or I would call it endemic at this point, but markets are still worried about what is happening with uh, COVID cases and the Delta variant and and just a lot of uncertainty around the tapering, et cetera. So adding this on top of that potential um, error by Congress as a whole, Uh, Could mean a larger pullback in the market, more market disruptions. And we know Congress doesn't like that. Now, Republicans, Republicans have vowed not to cooperate with Democrats to raise the borrowing limits and saying that it needs to be part of the partisan budget reconciliation package that is going through Congress right now. And saying that that's how you can get through. We don't, we don't want to vote, vote for it. And if you want to raise it, it has to be part of that package. But the administration and Democratic leaders are saying that they want Republicans to be part of the agreement to increase the ceiling. And remember, this doesn't authorize new spending, but allows Treasury to borrow more to pay for things that have already been passed by both Republicans and Democrats. So that's really the story here is. They've already agreed to spend it on both sides of the aisle. They just have to agree to allow the Treasury to issue more debt in order to spend on the things that both sides have already approved. Now, the SP500 did downgrade the U.S. credit rating in 2011, and, and yeah, 2011. Uh, And it looks like the drop dead date is going to be November 2nd. And investors have started to price in a short-term impasse over this debt ceiling sometime in the month of October, November. You're seeing that kind of in the futures markets, etc. So expect more of a battle. Expect a lot of chest bumping uh, and political posturing. But at the end of the day, they will raise it because both sides love to spend. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, now over 34 million. So get yours anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Your rating helps spread the word. And if you leave a question with your rating, we will prioritize your answers. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night.